0: chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, the scripture we just read, we're going to be looking, as I said, at three different groups, three different relationships, the family, the home, husband and wife, and it's a quick clarifier, if you're a husband and wife, that is a home, that is a family. Uh, children can be added to that, make the family bigger, but husband and wife, you are family, you are home. Then there is parent-child relationship, and then the employer-employee relationship, or in here, as we see master-slave. And we'll get into, again, that in our study a little bit, and then as we get into Philemon after this book of Colossians. But first, we want to look at couples. Couples in Colossians 3, 18, and 19. And let me encourage you, since we actually have people here, this is the time to refrain. I know we're doing the elbow bumps right now. When we're talking about couples, husband's wife, now is not the time for an elbow bump. Okay, one of these chicken wings. You want to refrain from that. Let me just... Save your marriage, you know, from somebody sleeping on the couch today. So refrain from the elbow bump during this portion, as we talk about, or even when we get to parents' children, you're like, yeah, all right. Um, so first, let's look at husbands and wives. Colossians three eighteen and 19, husbands and wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. How should a Christian married couple act towards each other? Generally speaking, what would set a Christian couple apart from an unsaved couple? What would set them apart? In this culture, as in our, our, our day today, two things need to be true in a Christian home, at the minimum. Wives need to submit. Husbands need to love. These words, of course, need Defining. The wife is to submit, to place herself under the leadership of her husband. Why? Because she's inferior? What's the obvious answer to that? No. Paul, who wrote earlier, earlier, before this, in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you're all one in Jesus Christ. It's not inferiority. Because in Christ, there is equality, not just between husband and wife, slave master, but even between the races. which Somehow this got lost for centuries. And people thought another race was less than something else. And they could be three-fifths something, because they're not full. And this got lost. But in the Lord, men and women, races, were, were equal in the Lord. When male and female were created, man was created and then female, Eve was created to do what? To obey the women will of her husband? No. What was she created to do? To help her husband complete the task God had given him. Because realize man can't do this alone. Not only can't he do it, which every man here ought to say amen, right? We know we can't do it alone. It's not good for them to even try to do it alone. Man can't do it. It's the first time we see in scripture, it's not good. He needs something else. And the gift God gave mankind was the woman. Help man fulfill the task God has given him. And then in Genesis 3, we see everything fall apart. When they took the fruit and they disobeyed God, it destroyed the relationship between God and man. It also destroyed the relationship between husband and wife. In in Genesis 3, we see that uh, 3.16 during when God's handing out these punishments he tells to the woman to Eve you will want to control your husband Instead of now you working together Now you're going to want control and your husband. He will dominate over you this tug of war begins Eve is not a helper, but a conspirator The husband doesn't need help. I don't need help I'm going to dominate. I'm going to rule And now this tug of war begins No more synergism, because sin has entered the home. So this divide takes place. We see this today, don't we? We hear this phrase that somebody is wearing the pants in the family. It's husband or wife. Sometimes now it's the child. But somebody has wearing the pants in the family. This is tug of war. A Christian home a home professing that they believe in the supreme preeminent Lord, will see the wife place herself under the husband's leadership. This godly woman refuses to fight her husband for the lead role. Instead, she fights to support her husband by becoming the helper God intended her to be in the first place. Not because she's inferior, because guys can't do it. We need help. Why would a wife do this? for two very clear reasons. Number one, God commanded it. Pretty simple. He commanded it here. You claim to know Jesus, do what he says. Secondly, God modeled this. God modeled this. God the Father sent who to earth? The Son. And when the Son came to planet earth, whose will did he do? His own. Whose leadership did he place himself under? the authority of the Father. In, in John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him, him who sent me. Is, that, is Jesus inferior now? Is he less equal? Does he have a, just a disparaging role in the relationship of the Trinity? No, we, we would never say. In fact, the disparaging role often becomes the Holy Spirit, the, first, the forgotten God. But we never think of Jesus as disparaging because he followed the Father's leadership. And you could say, well, it's because, you know, he's following the Father. The Father's perfect. Look what I, for wives, like, look what I gotta follow. Huh? Remember, no elbow nudge at this time. Look what I gotta follow. If you had to follow what I had to follow, it'd be harder to submit. Was the cost not great for Christ?" when he submitted to the leadership of the Father, was it not great? Would you go to the cross if your husband told you to? I promise you it's for the good of the entire world. I don't think so. You can go. You go get on that cross. But the son submitted. What did he pray in the garden? Not my will. Yours be done. God commanded this. God modeled this. But what if my erring husband asked me to do something unbiblical? Do I have to submit when they're asking me to do something biblical? What's the, what's the obvious answer? No. Especially in this pagan culture where maybe the husband wanted to take the wife to the temple to worship. Sometimes in pagan ways. Well, all times in pagan ways in a pagan culture. If it's not biblical, you don't submit. That's why it says in this text, how does it say it? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, as is in a proper manner in the Lord. Wives want to show the world that Jesus lives in you, want to show the world that you are seeking the things above. Place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Now, husband, time to wipe the smug smile off your face because your time's coming. Right? You're to love your wife. Ephesians 5.25 adds in this caveat, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus submitted, placed himself under the will of the Father by giving himself up for the world. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus submitted his will to the Father and gave himself up for the world. Husbands, how are you to love your wives? Just like Jesus loves you, like he loves the church. How does Jesus love you? How does he love you? He came for you when you were an enemy. He died for every single one of your sins. How many times has he forgiven you? Has Jesus been harsh to you? Have you felt his anger and his wrath? How many times has he let you down? How did Jesus serve? How did Jesus give? How did Jesus care? I mean, he loved unconditionally husbands, does this sound like you? Now, this text here, if I'm going to be honest with you, Ephesians 5.25 and this text here in Colossians 3 are some of the few commands that give me the biggest gulp in my life. When I'm doing premarital counseling and we walk through this text, I'm like, oh. Making disciples, going into all the world, This, to me, is harder. If they just said, love your wives like you feel like you should, sure. Love your wives because you married somebody better than you deserve, sure. Love your wives like Jesus loves the church. (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I fail, and I fail, and I fail, and I fail. My wife's here, and I, and I know I fail, and, and I want to. That's like crash and burn every day. In some aspect, I'm not loving her. Like, Jesus loves the church. God, help me. God, forgive me. God, forgive us. Because I get selfish. I get occupied with my own goals, my own desires, my own wants. Unconditional love is flies away we are to love we're not to be harsh or bitter towards our wives didn't get what you want today weren't appreciated like you think you ought to have been how often do you show jesus the appreciation he deserves how harsh is he with you when you're not is he not loving is he not kind and compassionate is he not forgiving he still loves us men love your wives love your wives One author said of the Christian couple, husband and wife, the husband is to reflect the unconditional, authoritative love of Christ in relation to the wife. The wife is to reflect the church's submissive respect for Christ in relation to her husband. In both aspects, husband and wife reflecting Jesus. You want to set yourself apart from the unsaved couples around you? Let these two things dominate your home. In this reciprocal relationship, I'll follow your lead husband. Now lead me. And love me like Jesus does. Husbands, I'm going to love you and lead you like Jesus does. Now follow me, help me. I can't do it. It's not good for me to do this alone. Work together like we were supposed to in the beginning. Reflect the nature and character of our Savior. That's husband, wife, relationship. Next, parents, children, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. In John 14, 31, Jesus said, I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. How is the world supposed to know that Jesus loved the Father? He did what the Father asked. He obeyed. Obedience. And obedience, not just in the menial task, take out the trash. But Philippians 2, 8 states that being found in human form, he humbled himself, he humbled, brought himself low, put himself under by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient even to death on the cross. Again, as a child or perhaps a snarky, quick-witted teenager would say, yeah, but Jesus didn't have my parents... Over 13 years of youth ministry, I wish I could tell you how many times I heard that phrase. You don't know my parents, followed by my parents are hypocrites. Just, I mean, they're like synonymous. Here it comes. Here we go. Tell a, child, tell a teenager, you got to obey. All right, here we go. Here here it comes. My parents are awful. My parents are hypocrites. Believe it or not, they're sinners, is what, right, which is what we're trying to get to, right? They're sinners. But over the years, you'd hear this from teens, and you know what the worst part about this was as a youth pastor: half of the time, the teens were right. Half the time, they were right. Their parents were hypocrites. Rarely come to church, or if they did come to church, they weren't serving anywhere. The kids would hear a message and look at their parents like, "Yeah, you should be serving. You should go on a mission trip." And they look over to their parents like, "Going, what are you doing? You don't go. You don't serve." You don't pray. What do you do? You just come, you show up, and you leave. And they start, man, it's like teens are so acute at spotting out hypocrisy. It's like a spiritual gift. They can hone in on it. The best thing, mom and dad, let me give you some advice. Best thing for you to do, admit it, confess it, do better the next day. You're right. I am. Pray with me. Would you pray with me that I would be not that tomorrow. But, you know, on a, on a go, so, so does that alleviate the teens are like, well, finally, I don't have to do it then because my parents are not what they should be. So the teens off the hook, Children, teenagers, listen to me, child and teens here online. I want you to listen to me. Hypocritical parents will answer to the Lord. Listen to me. Hypocritical parents will answer to the Lord so will you. So will you. You will also stand before the Lord and give an account. Not if your parents are hypocritical. If you honored and obeyed like Jesus asked you to, what are you going to do, stand before the Lord of glory and going, yeah, but look at the parents. You gave me. What does that sound like? Genesis 3, the woman you gave me, she is the one that handed me the fruit. Hypocritical parents do not mean you do not have to honor and obey. My wife and I, one of the kids in our our youth group, mom and dad were faithfully attending church, and all of a sudden over us, menial squabble. We're out. They leave. But the daughter, I'm still going. I'm going to church. Seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade, she's still, I'm going to church. Parents would drop her off for Sunday school, pick her up after a Sunday morning service, drop her off for Sunday night, pick her up after service, drop her off Wednesday night, pick her up, wouldn't down the doors. I can't believe they did that to us. Wouldn't come to church. She goes to college and it's like, I want to serve. She gets plugged back into the youth group. She's serving as a youth leader, discipling teenagers. After two, three years, guess what happens to the parents? They realize she's for real. And mom and dad realized, I want a dose of what she has. I remember we're sitting down with them, her and her parents at the table. We're sitting down, we're eating, and they're going, what? Come to church? Yeah, but you know what happened seven, eight years ago? I don't care. I don't care. Forgive like Jesus forgives you. Can you do that? Your daughter is growing. Look at her life beautiful example of a godly woman follow her example be faithful come serve plug yourself in stop being so selfish guess who started coming mom and dad but it's through the example of their daughter teenagers children if your parents are hypocritical fakes and you know it show them by the way you live what it looks like to truly follow Christ. Show them. Obey them. Honor them. Live for Jesus at all costs. Parents, you're not off the hook. He says here in verse 21, fathers, you're not to provoke or discourage your children. The word fathers in verse 21 can be translated as parents. It is in Hebrews 11. It can be translated that way, but the majority of time it means fathers. So either he's saying both mom and dad, or he's just directing at dad, who are often... Is it not the case in most Christian homes? Dad is not the spiritual leader of the home. It should be. But oftentimes it's not. So maybe he's, he's getting at that. You know, it's the wife's job to raise the children. Uh, no. Work together. Work together. And so maybe he's just getting at dads. I, either way, don't discourage your children. One commentator said of this discouragement, parents' refusal to allow children to be people in their own right, instead of carbon copies of their parents or their parents' fantasies. Ever see that? Parents want their fantasies for a child. They're like, what are you doing to your kid? Children treated like this can become discouraged or dispirited. Allow God to shape and mold your child. Do not expect them to be what they are not. Don't expect. Don't give and place upon them some burden, some unrealistic expectation. Guide them. Shape them mold them, lead them, prepare them. Then when it's time, let them go, relax. By the time they're 18, they should be prepared. Do your job. Next we see work, verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I'm not gonna spend long in this section on slavery. I will, however, address slavery in Colossae. The book of Philemon was written to people in Colossae, it's written to Philemon Colossae, who was a slave owner. There's a man named Onesimus, who you'll see in chapter 4 of Colossians, who's going to be sent back to Philemon, his owner. There we will address. So when we're done with Colossians, we're going to get right into Philemon. And we will address this issue. But for the time being, for respect to this text, we come back to this. I want you to know there are a couple of things you need to know. First, in the Roman world, in the Roman cities and provinces, about one third of the people in each Roman city was a slave. And typically, you found yourself to be one of two people: the slave owner or the slave. Now, there are outliers, right? There might have been a blacksmith who had his own job and he was just with himself and he didn't have enough money to have. But it's typically, you're the slave owner or the slave. And Paul's going to be speaking how to reshape the thinking for these two people. Slave owner and the slave. If you have been raised with Christ, how should we be treating one another? He's going to address this. If they should have had slaves, Christian masters, we'll get into when we get to Philemon. But first, let's look at this, because again, we'll talk about the ethics. But first, how does Paul reshape this? So if you find yourself being part of that one-third and you're one of the slaves... How should you follow your master? How should you follow him? What should, how should you listen to him? Paul says you ought to work your tail off. Work your tail off. Because your master isn't your master. If you're a slave, who's your real master? Jesus. That's your true master. In fact, Paul uses the same word of himself. I am a slave slave. You'll see in Scripture, they, they dampen it down a lot of times say, I'm a bondservant. Yeah, I'm a slave of Jesus. Slave. That's what I am. We are slaves. He's the master. We do it. he says. Why do you do this? Because verse 23, so you work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Even though you find yourself maybe born into an awful situation, you can make a difference. How? I'm a slave. Live for Christ and watch. Work your tail off. Show them. I don't serve you. I'm not here to make you happy, but I will do everything you ask because I'm here to make my Savior happy. And if you find yourself being a slave at this time, know for sure, look at verse 25. If you find yourself being a slave, know that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. For there is no partiality; God does not preference masters over slaves. He does not show preference to Jews over Gentiles, male or female. No, 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 no. Those that are doing wrong, and if you read the Bible, how does God view people doing wrong to the poor and to the oppressed? Not, not, not good. Right? He's angry with that. So slave trust that God will deal with this person. If you find yourself being the master, he says in four verse one, How should you treat those underneath you? He says, Masters, treat your bondservants just and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Master need to realize you're not the master. You're you're not the master. You're not the rule of thumb. You're not authoritative. You're a created being. You have a master. You're the slave. You have a master. So you have a master. And realize I will repay for those that do wrong. I'm keeping account. There is no partiality with me. So again, Paul will take this one more step further in Philemon. And we'll get to that after we're done with Colossians. So what, do, what does all of this mean for us today? What does all this mean for us today? Let me ask you a few questions. What can we apply to our lives? First, friend, if you're here, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus left heaven above. He came to earth. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. And in great love, he died for you and for me. He died for us. You can know Christ by saying, confessing your sin. Meaning that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus did come, He did die, He did rise, He did ascend on high. He still lives today. He can save you. He can forgive you all your sins. And you can know the great love of God. I encourage you to do that today. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have questions on that, you know, see us afterwards. You stay, stay back there at the end. We'd love to talk to you. Or um, email us, send us questions, text us if you're listening online. If you're here and you have received Christ as Lord, let me ask you a few questions, and then we'll close. First, couples, to the home, husband-wife. How are you doing? How are you doing, wives? Are you placing yourself under your husband's leadership, just like Jesus put himself under the leadership of the Father. Husbands, are you presently loving your wives just? Like Jesus loves the church that he died for? Just like he loves you? Families, to the child, to the teen? Does your obedience, does your obedience resemble the obedience of Jesus? You think you had imperfect parents. Do you, do you remember the parents Jesus had? They left him in Jerusalem for three days. you imperfect parents. He knew his parents were imperfect. They knew they were imperfect. And they knew the only perfect one in the home was him. But yet he still submitted to his parents. He still honored them. He still obeyed them. Do you realize, teenager, that you will answer for your life? Regardless on if you believe your parents' parents are hypocrites or not. Obey your parents. Mom and dad, are you discouraging your children in the way you're leading them? In a lot of homes in America, look at verse 20, look at verse 21. A lot of homes in America, you're going to find yourself an extreme of one of those two verses. In verse 20, 21, you're going to see an extreme. So, right, so, authoritative, obey me or else. Children, obey. Obey me or else It's authoritative. Or the flip side, I don't want to discourage, so little Johnny can do whatever he or wants Neither one of those is right. You need to find that balance in your home. Mom and dad, lead your home. Lead your home. You know, let the children lead your home. You lead your home. You should expect them to honor and obey you because it is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with them. If you want to be well with your children, teach them now, honor and obey. Not because you're right, not because you're perfect, but because it's good to God. It's going to help you in that process if you are willing to confess your sins along the way, and you repent and you be open that Daddy and Mommy messed it up this time. But it's, it's one right; it's authoritative. Or little Johnny can do whatever he wants. No, he can't. You do shape and mold your child. Help them, lead them, guide them, show them your example. Show them by your example how to live prayerfully seek their best. So find that balance in your home of what that looks like. We need to give our child freedom as time continues to go on because they have to be their own person and they, we want them to be in the Lord, faithfully following Him. So they're going to have to start making some of their own decisions. They're going to have to start making mistakes. You're going to have to watch it. And it's going to be painful. Love them. Care for them. Pray for them. Guide them. Shape them. Mold them. Lastly, work. Praise God, we are not living in a country where a third of the people are slaves. At the same time, Christian, you may think that your boss is the worst. You may hate your job, and your fellow employees may line up, yeah, you're right. He is the worst. She is the worst. If you claim to know Christ, if you believe he is supreme, stop complaining. Work your tail off. Not for eye service, not for promotion, not because you think it's going to help you along the way, but because your master is in heaven. You do your work for the Lord, period. You do your work for the Lord, period. When you get up and you get out of bed and you're leaving your door, I'm doing this work for the Lord. We're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Our job is the same. Christian, our job is the same. What did he tell us in 317? Whatever you do in work or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a plumber. You're not a plumber. You're a Christian plumber. I just happen to be a Christian pastor. Do your work for the Lord. We have the same tasks. We have the same 24 hours, seven days a week. It's for the Lord or it's not. That includes your job. That includes mine. It's for him or it's not. Do your work for the Lord. Let's bow forward in prayer. Lord, help us. Help us. Help me. Lord, as we look at this text and we see all the great things we have in Jesus because we've been buried with him, we've been raised with him, we're to seek and we're set. And Lord, we we long to put away and put to death and put on and to have homes that are reshaped, that look and model the relationship of God with a Father and the, the Son with the church. We long to have a redeemed home. But Dad gets selfish. Mom wants to lead. Children are pointy fingers. God, help us, whether child, teen, mom, or dad. Help us to repent and submit to you today that today, the last 12 hours we have, of this day, we would reflect you in our homes. For those at work, Lord, we praise you that there's not slavery abounding in our country, although there still is slavery going on here. There's still slavery going on in the world, and Lord, we beg you to help this end. Lord, for those that do enter the workplace feeling that they have it bad, may they see the advice given to slaves that they are to work hard heartily as unto the Lord. They're not to work for eye service. They're not trying to get the next promotion. They're trying to please their Savior. So would you help each of us, myself, and our church body to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.